Hey, before I dismiss the kids, I did want to say one thing. So uh, Pastor Jerry and his wife Megan are on vacation this week. Jerry and Megan, will, they'll be back by Tuesday. And so um, I want to give uh, Sherry a shout out for watching the kids this week. And we wanted to sing also, it is Jerry's birthday today. So I want to just say happy birthday, Jerry, on three while the girls are here. Do you miss dad on his birthday? But you'll see him soon. Okay. So on the count of three, we're going to say happy birthday, Jerry. Say it loud, all right, so you can hear it on the mic. One, two, three. Happy birthday, Jerry. All right, that's good. And kids, you can be dismissed. Back to Miss Kristen back there. Thank you, guys. Happy birthday, Jerry. And while the kids are being dismissed, I'm going to invite Sherry up to share some embarrassing stories about Jerry. Sherry, would you like to do that? Would you like? She probably would, but I don't know if Jerry would like that, but we would like to get him back for anything he's said to us, right, when he's made fun of us, including me. So, yeah. All right. Well, good morning. We are glad you're here today. It is good to be together, and we are continuing on in the Gospel of John chapter 5. Now, right after Christmas, I think it was a Sunday right after Christmas, We looked at the first part of John 5, the story of Jesus healing the man at the pool of Bethesda. And today we're skipping ahead to the end of the chapter where Jesus confronts the religious leaders of the day. Now, here's a little intro. When Jesus healed the man by the pool, it was at a very public place in Jerusalem on the Sabbath. And so some of the Jewish leaders began harassing him. He wasn't supposed to heal on the Sabbath. They even began to plot to take his life. They said, he's claiming to be God's son. So here in John 5, we're going to read that he does claim to be God's son, and he is the one who can give eternal life, and he's going to get back at the Jewish leaders. So let's pick up the story in verse 31 in John chapter 5. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies on my behalf, and I know that his testimony to me is true. You sent messengers to John, and he testified to the truth. Not that I accept such human testimony, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But I have a testimony greater than John's. The works that the Father has given me to complete, the very works that I am doing, testify on my behalf that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified on my behalf. You have never heard his voice or seen his form, and you do not have his word abiding in you, because you do not believe him whom he has sent." You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that testify on my behalf. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. If another comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe when you accept glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the one who alone is God? Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom you have set your hope. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe what he wrote, how will you believe what I say? 
Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, on this Sunday, this Lord's Day, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So if you Google hard sayings of the Bible or especially hard sayings of Jesus, you're going to get a lot of things to come up. I did that this week, and there's many things, and there were some lists. I, I looked at at least one of them, and I didn't find this passage there, so you don't have to Google that on your phone right now. But I might add this to a hard passage of or hard sayings of Jesus because of the way that he does go at the religious leaders of the day, could making, making them uncomfortable, could make us uncomfortable, and even makes them angry. So here in John 5, we have Jesus, who's an observant Jew. He is a rabbi, respected rabbi, and he's challenging the Jewish traditions, and he's making the leaders of the day angry. In response, we see them feel threatened by him, and they work, as we know the end of the story, to bring him to trial, to be put to death. Jesus, in this passage, is making the case that he is God's son, especially in that first part of the passage. N.T. Wright, the Christian author, reminds us that in ancient biblical times, a person needed several witnesses to make a case or to make a claim like Jesus is making. Jesus, Jesus makes the case that he has at least three witnesses. He says John the Baptist, that we've read a lot about in the first four chapters of John, testified to the truth that Jesus is the son of God. Jesus says his own works testify for him. He said he has completed the works that the Father is asking him to do, including performing miracles as he has in the, in the couple of previous chapters. He also says uh, that the Father himself testifies for him. Jesus says that even Moses testifies to him as the law and the prophets of the Old Testament point to Jesus. Jesus then accuses the leaders of searching the scriptures only themselves to find eternal life. But he says, you're really missing the point. The, the, the point is that eternal life is found in Jesus. If we stop here for a moment, Ben Witherington, another Bible commentator, says, the scriptures are a means to an end. And the scriptures tell us how to have life. They, have, they tell us to have a full life, an abundant life, which is in John 10. And to have eternal life, not only in John 3 we know, but in John 5 right here. Jesus says he is the way to eternal life, life forever with Jesus. So we need to know both the written word, the scriptures, and the living word who is Jesus today. Author Dale Bruner says the Bible is not really about the Bible. So again, he says the Bible is not really about the Bible. It's not to meant to be an encyclopedia of facts. Bruner says the Bible is the book that points to Jesus. And then Jesus, in turn, he says, will point us out to the wide world, to near neighbors, and multiple opportunities. I know as someone um, who enjoys Bible study, I like studying the Bible, I like reading the Bible, I like kind of digging into it and trying to find out the, the meanings behind things. It can be easy to go and attend a Bible study or do a, a time of Bible study and feel that we have accomplished something. But unless we take the scriptures and we apply it to our lives and we begin to see how we can use it and not just study it on a Sunday morning or in a small group, 
how we can use it and how it uh, appeals and applies to our lives, then we really haven't accomplished anything. Now, the Bible is to be studied. It is to be read devotionally. It is to be respected, but not just to do that. The Bible points to Jesus so that we can follow him. If you can remember back in high school or college, I know there's some students here today, but uh, that's a long time ago for me. But since I have kids in high school and college, and occasionally they might ask me to read one of their papers, typically they have a thesis statement or a statement of purpose. And if it's not in the paper itself, it's in their outline that they create before that, typically at the start, at the start of the paper. But for John, I think he puts his thesis statement at the very end of the book when he writes this right near the end. He says, but these, these are the stories that John tells. These are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. So John doesn't, he doesn't leave it just, you just need to study the Bible so that you can believe. You need to study the Bible so that you believe and that through believing, you may have life. This is his thesis statement. This is what he wants. Remember when I said that these are some of the hard sayings of Jesus? Well, it is because I think Jesus is offensive here. Maybe not to everyone, but to the people, to the leaders who are challenging. Here are some of the things he says. He says those Jewish religious leaders think they have eternal life, but they don't. He says they don't have the love of God in them. And he says they can accept glory from other people, but they don't seek the glory that comes from Jesus. And while we are not the targets of the passage here at all, I think it's a good practice to ask some similar questions for ourselves, perhaps even to challenge ourselves or to make ourselves uncomfortable. Do we think we have eternal life because of something other than Jesus? Do we set our hope on someone else, as the leaders did on Moses, they said? Do we believe in good works or because we're good people that we will have eternal life? Or do we believe in life through Jesus, as he says here in John 5? Are the stories that we're reading in the study of John, are they really true? Because there's some, there's some good stories about him performing miracles and, and healing people. Are they really true? Because if they are, they should change us. Do we accept the praise of people more than God, which he accuses the leaders of doing? The truth is we need to desire to do what God wants rather than to please people. And I, I should know this because I know about myself. I'm a classic people pleaser. So if you know me well enough, you probably already figured that out. So That's not a bad way to be a pastor, to make sure that other people are doing okay and to check on them and and that they're happy. But there can be times when I need to, and I think all of us need to, we need to make sure we are doing what God wants us to do. Whether or not it pleases people or pleases the people around us, we need to be in tune with what God wants us to do. And it's something that I have to check myself on as well. I want the praise of God rather than the praise of people. And then finally, which is a big part, I think, of this second part of John 5, as Christians, do we revere the Scriptures more than we revere Jesus? Do we revere the Scriptures more than we revere Jesus? 
Jesus says clearly throughout John's gospel, I am the way and the truth and the life. And we may believe it with head knowledge, but do we live it? Some days I think I do, and then some days in my own life I think I don't. I know there's lots of days where I find myself I'm watching the same TV shows that everyone else watches in the world. I get mad at my sports teams when they lose their games, whether or not they matter or not. And I can get excited or frustrating in watching the, the primary results in our elections. But do I follow Jesus on a daily basis? And so I think the answer lies in our hearts. We can believe in the Scriptures. We can believe in God in our heads. But will we follow Him? Will we follow Jesus with our hearts? Well, not only am I a people pleaser, I'm also a thinker. A thinker, I would say, more than a feeler. And I see some of our, our students here today. I'm not all into my feels. Is that how you say it? I'm not into my feels? Kara, do you know that? I know so. So I'm a thinker more than a feeler. And so, especially when I was a younger Christian, I was really good at defending my faith based on Scripture and apologetics. And I could argue with you about what the Scripture proved and do that. And could probably still do that. I don't do that as much. But it was a very intellectual faith for me, a thinker. And it can be challenging, I think, for the thinkers in the room, if you're there with me, to move our faith from our heads to our hearts. For some at ZBC, that move from head to heart has happened through awakenings and great banquets. And I think I see a few of our awakening folks here today that was just finished up boys last week and the girls a few weeks before that. And they were awesome times that I heard. I talked to one ZPC member uh, who attended Great Banquet many years ago, and he describes himself as a thinker and an intellectual. And he said this about Great Banquet. He said, I had never felt nearer to God than I did that weekend. I finally began to understand God's grace and unconditional love for me. And so those things aren't so much thinking, those are experiencing I had relationships with other people and experienced God's grace with them, with others. And my deep intellectual faith moved that long distance from my head down to my heart. Well, as we read last week in John 4 at the woman at the well, and that was in the call to worship that Mike did earlier, Jesus and the woman are talking about worshiping and uh, whether they worship as the Samaritans did in Samaria or at the temple in Jerusalem. And Jesus uh, points a different direction. He says it's about worshiping in spirit and in truth. Worshiping in spirit and in truth. The spirit, I think it, it works like this, that God's spirit really speaks to our hearts. So when we're in worship, when we're singing, when we're praying, maybe if you're alone in your quiet time, God's spirit touches our spirit and speaks to our hearts. And then God's truth helps us to understand him in our heads. When we think about it, Jesus says we are to love God with all our hearts, our minds, our souls, our strength. It is to be all of us engaged with God as much as we can. We worship in spirit and in truth. So what will you do with Jesus? If Jesus is truly the Son of God as he claims to be here in John 5, the one who gives eternal life, what will we do with that truth? Or what if you know that truth, but you don't feel it? 
Maybe you're like me. Maybe you've been a Christian most of your life. I think I became a Christian around age eight. I really had a recommitment in my life in, in high school for me. It was an early faith. My family grew up going to church every week. Maybe you're like me, or maybe you came to faith a little later, but for some of you, you've been Christians for maybe most of your lives, or if not most of your lives, maybe for many decades. And I think for us who've been Christians for a long time, we know that we can go through ebbs and flows, ups and downs, and we can experience spiritual dryness. About three to four weeks ago, several of us on our church staff went to a conference at uh, Calvin College, which is now Calvin University in Grand Rapids, Michigan, was about worship and church leadership, and we really enjoyed it. One of the seminars, one of the last seminars I went to was very helpful for me, and it talked about how do we deal with spiritual dryness or spiritual dullness. And one of the things they did, which was very helpful for me as well, to list some symptoms of being spiritually dry. They said this, it means being spiritually tired, that everything is routine, there's a loss of joy, You begin to do things out of duty, not out of joy or not out of want to. You do them out of duty. The future can get bleak. Doubt can creep in. Encounter with holy things don't stir your soul. And prayer becomes like a pre-recorded message. Have you ever felt like that? I know that there's been times in my life that I have. And so when we do, I think this message appeals to us again that our faith needs to move from our heads to our hearts. One of the things they talked about in that seminar is is being quiet and resting and finding ways to reconnect with God. I think it looks like this, and I'm going to give you a couple of suggestions on that. It looks like this, that we know both the written Word and the living Word. We know the Scripture, and we also know relationally the living Word, who's Jesus. It's both and. We worship. It's both and in spirit and in truth, and we love Jesus with both head and heart. Again, it's both and. I want to give you a couple of suggestions, which will take a few minutes to kind of flesh out uh, ways I think that can help us move it from head to heart and to keep our faith fresh. First, get in touch with people, especially people who need help. Get in touch with people, especially people who need your help. A church member sent me an email this week, I think on Tuesday or Wednesday, and he said this. It was a very simple email. He said, Scott, where in the Bible did Jesus say, give me your tired, your poor, your weak, etc.? And I also found out on Thursday that he emailed another friend who's kind of a Bible scholar that as well. And as we were talking about on Thursday, his friend said, you know, that's not in the Bible. So where is it? on the Statue of Liberty. So, so that was good. It's one of our church leaders, you know, Statue of Liberty, Bible, whatever. It's all good. <laughs> so actually, we wrote, I wrote him back, and we, I wrote him, we wrote him back individually. I wrote him back. I said, I think you're probably talking about Matthew 25. And I found the other guy said too, he said, you're probably talking about Matthew 25. So we had both written him emails about that. And he said he took Matthew 25, which I'm going to read in just a moment, a portion of it, to a devotional he was leading at the Habitat for Humanity board meeting, where he said, when we provide shelter, when we provide homes, a roof over somebody's head who may not have that or are living in substandard housing, we are fulfilling Matthew 25. And when we get to do that, when we get to serve in that way, we get to see Jesus. It can bring our faith 
a fresh understanding. Here's what Matthew 25 says, right near the end of the chapter. And this is Jesus speaking in this parable. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And the people asked, when did we see you like this? And he says, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. When I think of a passage like this, I often think of getting to go to Reynosa, Mexico, where I've been going for many, many years and the love of that. But I want to tell you today that you don't have to go to Mexico or some far away place to touch people, to connect with people, and to connect with people in need. We can see Jesus right here at home. I want to give you an example that's really been a, a privilege and a blessing for me and my family. My family has gotten to be friends uh, with a lady here who is, happens to also be a client at the Zinesville Food Pantry. And as a thinker, if someone uh, came to the church office during the week and they asked me about the food pantry as a thinker and a logical person, I'd say, oh yeah, the, the food pantry is great. You know, it's open Thursday from five to six and you know, you don't have to come early. Some people come early and they line up, but you don't have to. Uh, it's open from five to six. It's open from 12 to two on Friday. If you come 15 minutes early, either of those days, you can get a devotional and you can give a prayer request. And those prayer requests are actually passed on to people in the church here in a prayer chain. So they're prayed for. And so, and they give you a lot of food. It's a great experience to come to the Zinesville Food Pantry. That's kind of my thinker mindset. That's kind of my, my 30 second spiel on, on the food pantry. However, Talking to this friend, she opened my eyes to look at the food pantry in a whole new way. She told me that she lived in another large city on the East Coast where occasionally she would go to a food pantry, and they treated her like a number. It was very impersonal. They made sure people got in line, and they stayed in line, and it was just not a good experience overall. But here, she said, she's told me this at least three times, everyone is kind. And if you don't know what to do when you walk in, they're, they're, well, they will smile and they'll tell you, here's our process, here's what we do. And, and uh, when you come back the next time, prove that you're a resident of Boone County. Oh, if you're not a resident of Boone County, we're going to point you to other food pantries you can go. They may be closer to where you live. But since you're here tonight, we're going to walk you through the process. People are at each station in the food pantry. They're smiling. They're gracious. They explain to you how much you can take of this and that. They give you an actual grocery cart. And then when you're done, even on a, a really cold day, someone will push the grocery cart for you back out into the parking lot. And if you have a car or a family there, they will actually unload their groceries for you. And she said, it is an amazing experience. She goes, this is incredible. This is amazing how kind people are and how generous and how abundant the food is. She, she cannot believe, even though she comes again and again, how wonderful it is. And so for me, from my thinking mindset of my 30-second spiel about the food pantry has changed to see Jesus through this woman who has been in need and her view of our food pantry and then through the volunteers of our food pantry and through the ministry of the food pantry. And it has changed my mind, it has changed my heart and changed my view of our food pantry and of this friend. Jerry gave a great message last week. If you were here and if you weren't, I would encourage you to listen to it online at our website. He gave a great message on John chapter 4 about the vulnerability of the woman at the well. And near the end, 
He challenged us to be vulnerable as well, which can draw us closer to God. He said we need to burst the bubble that everything in life is good because we know that our lives are not all perfect, even though we may dress up and look nice, especially on a Sunday morning. He said we can be vulnerable ourselves to step out, to go first in sharing with someone else and then listen to what their needs are. And when we do, we will see God. God will open our, up our hearts and the hearts of others, and we can make connections. So this is the first way that I would encourage you to, to keep your faith <clears throat> fresh and moving from head to heart is to connect with people and serve people in need, and there you will see God. You might even pray, give me your tired, your poor, your hungry, your weak, and see what God does. The second way, I think, to keep your faith fresh and move from head to heart is to use the Bible in prayer. Now, that may sound really simple, but I think it is profound. And part of what got me thinking about it this week was a conversation with Sally Bias. She's our communications director. We help each other on our home group questions. And she found this quote from a theologian, Andre Luf, in Belgium that talks about Scripture and prayer. And here it is. He said first, he says, prayer is the superabundance of the heart. I really like that. Prayer is the superabundance of the heart. Prayer is the precious fruit of the Word, the Word of God that has become wholly our own and in that way has been inscribed deep in our body and our psyche and now can become our response to the love of the Father. Find my spot again here. So um, he says, if you want to go from your faith to your heart, pray deeply and get into God's Word deeply. Whether it's on Sunday mornings here uh, as we study the book of John, whether it's in your home group and Bible study by yourself, whether it's meditating on God's Word, asking God, saying, God, will you show me what this means and help me to apply it to my own life? So the Scriptures will not be something just that you're studying, but they will be, as he said, inscribed on your heart as you study the scriptures again and again as you ask God show me what you want me to know show me what you want me to learn they become part of you inscribed on your heart so that you can pray with them back to God I know like some of you as I said before I've experienced spiritual dryness from time to time and my prayers become routine and when they do I ask for help I ask for help from the Psalms since I knew I'd be telling you this today, I looked at and uh, prayed Psalm 51 yesterday, which is a great Psalm of David, and then Psalm 147 this morning. Psalms are heartfelt prayers from the real people of God, and they help me to kind of use different language and think of God and think of prayers in different ways. So I encourage you to use the Psalms, use the Gospels to help you to see Jesus, to know Jesus, to use Jesus' words, Jesus' stories to assist you in your prayer. And then finally, this week, I think you can come with a fresh look at God and head and heart this week as we head into Lent. This week is Ash Wednesday, and so we encourage you, we invite you to come. As Elias uh, said earlier, Ash Wednesday, we're gonna have a service that's a little shorter, especially if you have to go back to work from noon to 1245 in the chapel or from seven to 8 p.m. here in the sanctuary. These are more contemplative, kind of reflective services where you can be quiet with God in prayer and song 
and Scripture. Then after Ash Wednesday, and this is listed in your bulletin, we invite you to join in Evensong for the month of March on Wednesday. So as Ash Wednesday is on a Wednesday, so start the Wednesday following uh, at 7 to 7.30 with song and prayer and reflection to connect with God during this time of Lent. Whether you do or not come to those things, use the Scriptures to get into the Gospels, to get into the Psalms, to pray, to meditate, and ask God to move your faith from your head to your heart, to connect both your head and your heart to be like Him. We can know Jesus through the written Word, helping us to know Him as the living Word so that we can live for Him. And with that, let us pray. God, we do pray on this day that you help us to know you as the written word and then to know you personally as the living word. God, this passage in John 5 can be difficult as we see you confront Jesus, uh, the religious leaders of the day. Help us not to be legalistic about our faith, but to put our faith in you. Help us to keep it fresh. God, freshen our faith for us through your spirit. Help us to worship in spirit and in truth and to connect with you through the scriptures and through people around us. Help us then, O oh God, to live with you even this week. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.